Our first reading comes from Matthew chapter 27, beginning at verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So, when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. When, while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why, what crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Well, it's the first thing in the morning. I've just got up and the priests come in dragging this pathetic looking guy telling me he's got to die. Okay, why? I mean, normally the priests are okay. They know their place. I let them do their thing up at the temple. They toe the line. They have all their weird rules and rituals. But I think that was the problem. This guy Jesus said something about destroying the temple and claiming to be their king. The people call him the Messiah. (laughs) Good luck to him. He was pathetic. Still, if he wants to be king, he's got another thing coming. So I ask him what he's got to say for himself. Are you the king of the Jews? But he wouldn't say anything. Just, you said so. Yeah, I know. 
He won't defend himself. He won't even say anything I can convict him for. He's like a sheep, like a lamb. He's just letting it happen. He won't fight back. He's not like anything I've ever seen. If he'd said something, if he'd just denied it, I could have let him go. I wanted to. He was harmless. But no, he wouldn't say a word. It was like he wanted to die. Then I saw my chance. I knew how to get out of this one. There was another guy, another Jesus actually, Jesus Barabbas. Everyone knew what he'd done. Nobody wanted him on the loose. So I decided to put him up against this Jesus, the Messiah. Even if he wouldn't defend himself, I could get him out of it like this. And then a slave walks in. I'm right there, ready to judge. And this message comes. My wife's had a dream. It's some God's trying to send her a message. She says he's innocent and I have to leave him alone. I wish I could have. I wish I had. So I give them the choice. Jesus Barabbas or Jesus the Messiah? It's a no-brainer. But I hadn't counted on the, the priests and the elders. They hated him. They hated him. Turns out he ransacked their precious temple and challenged their weird rules and rituals. Not my problem, but that's why they really wanted him dead. If the people went over to Jesus, the priests would be powerless. He had to go. So I'm trying to sort this out, and they're telling the crowd how awful he is, how he's going to destroy everything they hold sacred, how he's a traitor and a blasphemer. And then the crowd are getting angry. They're pressing in. They're screaming for Barabbas. What could I do? They just start yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And that's when it hit me. He was innocent. His silence, the message from my wife, the hatred of the priests and the crowd. It all made sense, but it was too late. He hadn't done anything wrong. I was about to crucify a guilty man. I was about to crucify an innocent man and let the guilty go free. I guess I'm as guilty as the rest of them. So I let Barabbas go, I gave the order and, well, if they want his blood, they can have his blood. Matthew 27, 27 to 37. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, 
king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots and sitting down. They kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. I don't know what to think. We're killing him because that's the order. We have a bit of fun along the way. Stupid mob. Think he's a king. Well, we gave him the royal treatment. We take him into the governor's palace. We put this crown on him. We give him a scepter and a robe, (laughs) some king. He wouldn't even fight back. We're kneeling down and worshipping him, calling out, Hail, King of the Jews! No real king had copped that. But he didn't bite. Even when we're spitting on him and hitting him, he just copped it. Normally they, they lash out and fight back. And then when they stop, you know you've broken them. But he never reacted. It made me sick after a while, all that mockery and no response. Why wouldn't he crack? So I was glad when we packed up and took him up to the skull. He was weak. We'd flogged him pretty good, so he had to make some random carry the cross along the way. But his spirit... He was still strong. Even when he could hardly walk, he wouldn't take the the painkiller someone offered him. It was weird. He was like the opposite of everyone else we've ever done. Normally they start off angry and defiant and then we crush them. It's a shame as much as anything. But he just took it all. The physical pain, the humiliation, like it didn't faze him. Like he knew what he was doing. Then we put him up on the cross. It's brutal, but it teaches them a lesson. You want a king of Israel? Here's what Caesar thinks of your king. The crowds going into the city, everyone can see him. It's disgusting. His family will never live down the shame. His friends and followers will pretend they never knew him. So it does the job. No one's going to follow a king on a cross. They'll forget him in a few days and they'll remember that Caesar's their true king. Well, that's the theory. But then we put that sign up and I've got this feeling I still can't shake. This is Jesus, king of the Jews. I mean, it makes no sense. Of course he isn't. What sort of a king has a crown of thorns and a cross for a throne? He's a 
He's a criminal, not a king. But then why doesn't the shame break him? I still can't get past that. We've put him through hell. We destroy his body, but we can't touch his spirit. It's not pride exactly. The proud ones fight back. He just has purpose. Like he really thinks he's a king. Even now, up there on his cross, with that sign haunting me. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. A king hanging where only criminals belong. He's dying now. I guess I'll get over it. We're continuing our reading in Matthew 27, uh, picking up again from verse 38. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him, for he said, I'm the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. He's calling Elijah. Now let's leave him alone and see if Elijah comes to save him. It's not over yet. I've been following him all the way from Galilee. I know what he can do. I've seen God's power in him. I've seen the signs and the miracles. I was there on the grass by the lake when he fed thousands of us and multiplied the bread. He's just like a new Moses. Bread from heaven. People were even saying that he walked across the sea. And he has authority too. I mean, I never heard Moses teach, but Jesus teaches like no one else. Even the chief priests and the teachers can't answer him. They reckon they're so smart now, mocking him up there on the cross. He saved others, but he can't save himself. They weren't so smart when he was schooling them in the temple courts a few days ago. They're kind of right, aren't they? Where's his power now? 
He can forgive sins. He can heal the sick and the blind. Even the evil spirits are scared of him. So much power from God and now it's like he's helpless. How can you save us up there? Come down from the cross if you really are the son of God. You're meant to be our Moses. Come on, save us from these Roman slave masters. You've seen what they do to us. The taxes, the idols, all the tears we've cried and the prayers we've prayed. Don't you care? Why do you let this happen? You're the most powerful man I've ever seen. And now you're hanging helpless up there on a cross like a useless slave. They keep yelling, you saved others, now saved yourself. We're not going to see that power again, are we? Each time they sneer at him, he trusts in God, let God save him. I'm just waiting for the thunder and lightning. God could still save him, but he won't. Because he did call out to God and nothing's happening. Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. He's not Moses calling down judgment on Pharaoh. He's more like David, all alone and helpless in that psalm. He's worse than David because God isn't coming. Elijah's not coming to save him. No one's coming. Not much point being a good man if God still lets you suffer and die like this. God, why would you abandon him now? Why won't you save him? Why won't you save us? He was our saviour and now you're letting him die. How are you going to save us now? Matthew 27, 50 to 61. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there, watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock.
He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Split. The rock split. The earth shook and the curtain tore and the rocks split. I mean, it makes no sense. The Son of God isn't meant to be dead in this tomb. But the rock split. I could hardly watch when he cried out for the last time. We've been with him so long, following him since Galilee. We've been taking care of his needs. But he's done more for us than we ever did for him. I had seven evil spirits controlling me. I was a wreck. I couldn't rest. I was a danger to myself and to everyone else. But he healed me. He set me free. He gave me a new life. And not just me, lots of women. He was kind to us. He showed us that God loves us. He called God his father and made us feel like God is our father too. It was all going so well, but he just had to come to Jerusalem. That's when things started going bad. Once he was arrested, I knew they wouldn't give him a fair trial. They were too scared of him. They hated him too much. The crowd was screaming. Pilate gave the order. The soldiers did the rest. All we could do was follow and watch and hope. Maybe. Maybe the Son of God could still save himself. Surely God wouldn't let these dogs kill his own son. It was disgusting, the the mockery, the insults, the flogging, the nails. But he did so much for us. We went about to abandon him in his hour of need. No one took any notice of us anyway. What's a group of women matter as long as we stay out of the way and keep quiet? But we're not going to stay quiet about what we've seen today. No, we'll tell his story all the way to the end. I'm just not sure if this is the end. I thought it was all over when he he cried out and gave up his spirit, but then the funny business started. The earthquake was scary. The the prophets say that the earth will shake when when God comes to judge all the awful things we've done on that dreadful day of the Lord. But maybe it's just a coincidence. But then I heard that the curtain of the temple had been torn from the top down to the bottom. Who could do that? It's, it's, it's almost 10 metres tall. And some of the tombs have broken open. I don't know what it means. Are the bodies going to come out like that vision in Ezekiel when the dead bones come back to life? Is this the end? 
God's up to something. The darkness, the earthquake, the curtain, the tombs, the rocks. And then I heard something I thought I would never hear. I wouldn't have believed it if I didn't hear it with my own ears. The centurion and the soldiers, godless pagans who wouldn't know God's salvation if he parted the Red Sea right in front of them. They see him die and the earthquake and everything and they say, surely he was the son of God. (laughs) A bit late now, fellas. It's all upside down. These Romans think he's the son of God and his own people, God's people, won't accept him. And then the earthquake and the tombs and the rocks splitting. No, this isn't over. I mean, we came here with Joseph. We saw the body go in the tomb. We saw the rock rolled in front. But rocks split. No, this isn't over. God wouldn't abandon his son to the grave. But what on earth is God up to? Verse 